That is a class A homegrown piece of meat. The tagline should have been Gattaca, there's no gene for a big penis. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Welcome to Science of the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Abby. I'm Frida. And this week's movie is Gattaca, a true classic that we're finally doing. And probably one of the most requested ones. I mean, like when I first set up the podcast and I wrote on Facebook, this podcast, anyone got ideas? Gattaca was like three out of the five comments, (laughs) something like that. So we're doing it. You started off really high, the most requested one, and then you managed to bring it down to five comments and three were Gattaca. Very proud of you. So, just some <laughs> deep truths. Look, <laughs> I'm just being honest. I don't go for all these people trying to inflate their popularity. <laughs> Not that many people comment on my Facebook posts. <laughs> Although, I sent you a message the other day. Did you see mm-hmm. it? Oh, is this Should a I tell review? The world? Yeah. Yeah. That we have a review from a male person. Can I just call them a mailman? I don't want to gender them, but I'm going to anyway. Okay. Because I just like the idea of a mailman, but mailman. All right. Are you the mailman that has written this? If you are the mailman, can you please get in touch with us? This is this is says great series both abby and frida are hysterically funny and entertaining hosts as they give the movies they review the science test and a treatment worthy of i googled this mst3k uh, mystery science the theater 3000 hello oh great grammar by the way <laughs> it's a good sentence can i read it again both sure. Abby and Frida are hysterically funny, entertaining hosts as they give the movies they review the science test. There's so much happening in that sentence, like you never know where it's going. Okay. You never know if it's just going to be like, they're hysterically funny. No, that's just hysterically funny. That's like, and entertaining hosts. And then they're like, as they give the movies, they review the science test. It's just a great sentence. And then they say, great fun. I love it. Keeps my days delivering the mail moving along. Thanks, guys. I mean, I'm really appreciative of the review, but I'm squeamishly uncomfortable with the analysis that you just gave it. <laughs> I love that first sentence. I read it so many times because okay. I'm like, I, I never, it keeps taking a turn. Um, so okay. there's someone out there delivering mail and we're helping that person get everything done on time. Why are you laughing? <laughs> funny <laughs> the level of excitement that you get <laughs> i'm guessing this was australian um no american Apple. oh was it american oh hi mm-hmm. i suppose the majority of our listeners are in oh. america okay i'm sorry you feel that way about australia not worthy of like your voice going that high <laughs> what no i was just like i don't know because because so, we only okay. had one review written review on american podcasts apple and it made me uncomfortable so it's just nice that there's another <laughs> one there now <laughs> have you got any news um yeah <laughs> i did stuff it was jubilee week um 
oh, which shit, I yeah. obviously have no interest in or haven't paid any attention to. But yeah, the doggy's <laughs> been sick this week. Oh, baby. The poor little thing. So we think she must have like eaten something or found something that made her sick. So she's, she's oh, better now. But she hasn't had breakfast yet. So I'm looking at she's sleeping in her little doggy bed next to me right now. Snoozing away. Bless you. Um, so yeah. So if she if she starts to look like she's going to stir and want food, I'll jump out to feed her. Because she didn't really eat much mom. for a while. But when she gets sick, like that's what what you do is you can only feed them like plain food. So you give them chicken and rice, um, which obviously she picks out all the rice and just goes for the chicken. (laughs) (laughs) So it's almost like when she's sick, she's like, this is the best thing ever because she just gets chicken like real proper. Dude, we could share a meal. I always have only the rice in chicken and rice. (laughs) And so I feel like like we could be lady in the trap. I would be lady. She would be the tramp. No, I'll be the tramp. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, let's I'm sorry. Honest, Lolly I'm the is the lady. How fucking dare you? You are 100% I'm the, the tramp. tramp when it comes I'll to eat my the dog. Rice. <laughs> She'll eat the chicken. Yeah. I think we've established in the intro of this podcast that I am the tramp in this situation. <laughs> she is right. my little princess. Anyway, yeah. How are you doing? How's your week? Yeah, it was good. I told you I had a paper rejection this week. I've taken it pretty hard. Oh, yeah. Um, sucks sucks balls i mean that's it yeah i was like do you want to move on from that do you want to talk about it no i don't talk about it i've talked okay. about it enough people yeah. around me is sick of it they're all like mate you know what fucking sick of it shut up about your paper <laughs> oh okay yeah all right okay are we ready yes okay let's go gattaca I actually did Gattaca for my year 12, like my um, VC or matriculation text for literature. Oh. Is it a book? No, but we had had a a books, plays, film as well. Oh, when I, this is is how old I am now. When I was doing my Leaving Cert, we still hadn't, we were just on books and plays. Film hadn't been introduced as an option. Gattaca, what is the value of ambition in a society where success is determined at birth? Is there any place for dreams, for hope? Gattaca poses some big questions about the role of science in our society, specifically about the role of eugenics. All parents want the best start for their kids. So why wouldn't that include selecting the best genes for their kids? Vincent Morrow was born from regular old lovemaking, but his parents didn't take the chance with their next child, Anton, who was born with the perfect genetic selection. Eventually, all parents are doing the same thing in the not-too-distant future, or at least, I guess, those who can afford it. This leaves Vincent and his invalid contemporaries serving as the underclass, for the genetically blessed, where they are routinely rounded up and harassed by police. Vincent dreams of going to space and uses the identity and bodily matter of Jerome Morrow to become a borrowed ladder to work at Gattaca, the, the space agency, I guess. We also meet Irene, a beautiful valid, albeit with a small heart defect, who looks up to Vincent for his perfect genetic makeup. What all these people are searching for 
is to leave the crippling constraints of this new world, which I suppose we're supposed to assume is not very far away from ours. So that is Gattaca, and I have a quote. Roger Ebert said, this is one of the smartest and provocative of science fiction films, a thriller with ideas. (laughs) Abby, do you agree? A thriller with ideas? Mm. Highbrow. Yeah, I suppose I do. It's a good movie. It's an interesting movie. It's a... um, It has a certain feel to it that kind of reminds me of some other movies that we've watched like sunshine there's just something about how it feels to me that is kind of reminiscent of that before i forget um that i learned something about there's hard science fiction and soft science fiction and hard science fiction is films that are um in like based on realistic science that exists and a honest projection of where that will put us as a society whereas soft science fiction is more fantastical so soft science fiction would be sorry the fifth element maybe and hard science fiction is is this movie or moon um this movie probably more than moon anyways that's just something i i forgot to write down but i wanted to say it Mm. So let's get stuck into just let's talk about the film. There's a lot to talk about. I'll tell you what I think about the film real quick, which is that I really love this movie. And even though I studied it within an inch of its life, I thought I could never watch it again. I was so sick of it. But I started to watch it and it was like so beautiful and I enjoyed it so much. And I remembered like, oh, no, this is like people talk about it like, oh, it's really like thought provoking. But like aside from being thought provoking, it's gorgeous. Mm. It's just gorgeous, you know. Um, fuck the thought-provoking stuff. Like at the end of the day, you want to use it. You want a movie to be like just good to watch, right? You know, I I care a bit less about the thought-provoking stuff as much as all that. So um, let's talk about any scenes you particularly want to pull out right now before we get into the particulars. I just really enjoy the opening scene. I enjoy the. I wrote that too. Um, when like all of the actions that he goes through uh like in the daily bait like where you don't understand in the opening scene what he's doing but it's really interesting to watch because it makes you kind of engage in it's like why is he scrubbing himself why does it all seem this what's the furnace about what's the little thumb like the little fingerprint thing and then the packet of blood and you're like oh what is actually going on here so it's really interesting then to kind of find out what the basis of all of that is but um yeah, I just think it's uh, those those scenes are very good. Mm-hmm. I think good science fiction needs a really great setting like that. It needs like a really compelling mise-en-scene. You know, you'd be like, ooh, what's going on in the scene? Um, I agree, the opening is gorgeous. Um, I have a little bit more to say about it later, but I do love how it goes, like fingernails, hair, and then the skin is like snow. It's so beautiful. Mm. Um, the scene I really wanted to pull out up front was the treadmill scene. I always find that to be oh, yeah. heart-stopping, literally. It's so amazing. And then when the reveal of like how hard, how fast his heart's actually beating right. the whole time and then him collapsing, it's like, whoa. But just the heartbeat in the background and the conversation about people's potential as you're looking at vincent and it's like his potential yeah. they're kind of talking about him and it's so tense it's so brilliant jerome, jerome the metronome that guy has a fixation <laughs> I, just up front i have a few like 
things. I want to all my complaints about the film. I'm saving to the end of this episode. Just putting it okay. up. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Got, I've got. I've got a few. So. <laughs> I just was like, I just shoved them all in the what the fuck section. Oh, um, okay. Do you have any more scenes before we talk about the aesthetic scenes? stuff? Scenes? No. Okay, let's talk about the style. So I want to talk about two parts about the style. One is the clothing and the other is the architecture. Do you have any style, other things that don't fall into the category to do with the style of the film? Uh, yeah, I suppose just the there's there's a, there's a vibe with it that is a little bit, again reminiscent of like other movies that we've done if we think about 12 monkeys there's something about the way that they portray like the technology the futuristic technology is a bit steampunky but without the exaggeration of steampunk but you know when they're doing the eye things to get the contact lenses there's there's just little things about it where some of the technology that they're using feels really really outdated but futuristic at the same time and i just thought it was really interesting to uh, mm. to watch that it's always interesting the way science fiction films feel like they have to adapt existing things. Even the mm. treadmills, the way they had futuristic treadmills. So usually treadmills have a screen that you're looking at or something to some other thing, but these treadmills were just like really just like a ramp yeah. that they were running on. So even like those small things, they always feel like they have to adapt technologies. It kind of seems also... like what they did instead of adding to it to make it seem like it, oh, here's all these updated futuristic things they took away from it. And by mm -hmm. taking away from it, they simplified it and made it just less, less intrusive or less of a, oh, mm -hmm. here's all the flashy tech, which, which I kind of enjoyed about it. But there were just a few things where I was just kind of like, oh, it's a bit steampunky in a weird way. Mm. Not exactly steampunky. I don't know how to describe it, but yeah. Well, there was a there's a lot of minimalist aspects to the design of the film. So they didn't, and I did read this that they did intentionally don't want to uh, congest the screen too much with too much stuff. But yeah. there is so much they wanted to put there, so they used minimalist design for a lot of it, so that they could both have it be simple and elegant, but also full of yeah. ideas and sort of technologies and things like that. So a lot of that design was intentionally done so that it wouldn't overcrowd everything. Um, so it's just sleek, simple. Mm. Um, okay, so let's talk about the clothing first. Um, this was Colleen Atwood, who's won four Academy Awards for costume, including for Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the first ever wizard movie to ever win an Academy Award <laughs> was for this clothing. So she actually sourced, and it's really funny what you said about being old and new at the same time, because she sourced suits from the 30s and the 80s to describe this sort of look. That, And I think there was also even a film noir aspect to it, the detectives, the way they uh, some shots down the alleyway, the shadows. On. Yes. The detectives with their every, the first scene where they all turn up and every single one of them is wearing a How fedora. Funny. I was just like, what is happening all all I could think was the Adjustment Bureau. I feel like a lot of science fiction, there are science fiction films that have the kind of combination of like old and new. It's it's cool. Like the steampunk, I guess that's what that is. Um, also the detectives, you had the head detective and Alan Arkin's character who played like an older but junior detective. Their colors were like reversed completely. So it was like black when the other person had gray and vice versa. Yeah. Um, yeah, so people, it's been described as pristine minimalism. Um, any particulars about clothing you want to talk about? Nope. Okay. 
Irene's LeMay dress, halter dress. Nope. Okay. Um, architecture. Architecture is really interesting. There's two main settings in the movie. Number one is the brutalist architecture of Panoma University, which is Jerome's apartment. And of course, in the Jerome's apartment would be his spiral staircase, which is a very famous feature of the movie, the design that it's like the double helix. Um, and number two is the Gattaca building, which is a Frank Lloyd Wright building, actually the last building he did before he died. Um, the, it was supervised by his wife after he died, like to finish it. Um, it's called the Marie Marin County Civic Center. That was where Gattaca is. So there, is there anything you want to talk about the buildings and the architecture and general setting? Not really. How it did it make you feel? Um, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It was just, there was like a starkness to it. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was just, it was just stark. It was, um, cold, yeah. uh, functional. Well, not really functional, actually. That's wrong because it was just a lot of empty space. Yeah, it yeah. just it was just very um mundane feeling. Yeah. The the building, the brutalist building, it sort of sticks out like really unnaturally. Um it's like that triangle building that Jerome lives. I think it stands in contrast to the Frank Lloyd Wright building, which is sort of more beautiful than this sort of brutalist like building that's like edges that Jerome lives in. And and one other way that you could look at, at the buildings is that almost this sort of lack of any texture in the walls. It's all very like per, it's sort of reflecting this sort of trying to aspire to perfection um, and not having any texture. So anything else about aesthetic that you want to talk about before we move on to my next favorite topic? Uh, nope. Music. Okay. So the score um, is by Michael Nyman, who you might know from the piano. Um, do, 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 do. do you like the score for this movie? Sure. Okay, great. <laughs> so there's something about the opening scene which I find really beautiful is that you hear the sound of the nail clippings falling in the hair. And only when the snow starts to fall does the score start to soar. And I just find that moment just kind of stunning and, and um, soaring. I love the score. It's like so amazing. I can't get over it. Okay. It's just <laughs> beautiful. Okay. Well, whatever. Um, but there's one other thing about the music that I want to point out is that there's this scene where they go to the play and there's the pianist that has 12 fingers. Yes. What do you think about that scene? I thought, I can't wait to hear what Frida says about this scene. <laughs> On the 12 fingers. Just wait. <laughs> Just okay. wait. Okay. <laughs> so that piece is a Schubert's Impromptu number three. And they adapted that piece with the added high notes so that it could only be played with someone that had extra fingers. Wow. Yeah. So that's a real piece. But um, Michael Nyman, I guess, is sort of added like top notes to it. So I, who love film and am I'm obsessive. Learned that entire song. Because <laughs> Good job. That's not the first song that I've seen in a movie and decided to play it. Yeah. Okay. Um, cast. It's time for cast. I have 
before we talk about the main cast, can I just say that we have three repeats? Yes. Tony Shaloub, absolutely, who was in Galaxy Quest. Thoughts on him? Oh, I just, I just love Tony Shaloub. <laughs> Such a good yeah. appearance. It's quite nice actually to see him because, like, I suppose when we've talked about him before, it's been Galaxy Quest and Men in Black. Um, I think there was another one, but I can't remember what it was. But to see him play something, you know, in in a role where it's a little bit more serious, it's kind of nice to see. Mm. But still always quirky. Yeah. I love when he pulls out the vial. They're like, oh, they go, do you have somebody in mind? And he's like, hmm. And he opens up and he looks at the blood. He's like, this is someone. It's like, oh, symbolism. (laughs) Uh, That was good. Another repeat is Xander Berkeley. I'm pretty sure he's from Apollo 13. Who, who is he in this? He's just a dude. Oh, who is he? The doctor. Oh yes, yes, the pathologist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Andrew Berkeley. Yeah. Um, and then of course the main repeat is Lauren Dean. Yes. Well, I say main as in he's got a big role, but he was also in Apollo thirteen as the guy with the so, geeky glasses. Lauren Dean is one hundred percent a James Redhorn because like. He is so familiar to me. I look at him and I'm like, I know this guy. I've seen him in so many things. This actor is so incredibly recognizable and familiar. And I had no idea what his name is. He was also in um, Enemy of the State. So he's been a threesome as well as Tony Shalhoub. Just like three times. That's pretty cool. Okay, let's move on to the rest of the cast that we don't have a close personal relationship with. Starting with, we'll we'll do Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman together because I feel like this is where they met and fell in love and got married. Aww. Uh, what, what did you feel about them? It was good. It was a good mix, I think. Mm. I like Ethan. She looks I like better Ethan than Hawk. ever. Ethan Hawke, lordy, I like him in this. There's something sinister about him the whole way through. They set it up in such a way with that slight sinister side to him that it makes me question whether he did kill the guy or not. Because really, this is a murder mystery. And I didn't really know that about the movie. I never thought about it in that way. Like, it's a murder mystery. That's the whole thing. It is, as you said, like a film noir, old school detective style, you know, P.I. guy, murder mystery vibe. Um, Femme fatale. Yeah, the way he walks away from the murder, very like unemotional. It's like, oh, is he uninterested? Is he guilty? Or is he just trying to mask? Why are they masking emotion all the time? Why is that necessary? The way they walk, you know what I mean? They're always right. like walking like hot bitches. <laughs> just is that what happens when know. you get your, your genes chosen for you like that? You lose all, like, do they just remove sense of humor, like cuteness? Mm. Yeah, silliness. Smiling. Why is that necessary? Um, okay, Jude Law. Let's just finish this section. Jude Law. He's one of his first big movies where he plays the bratty Jerome Morrow who has attempted suicide and failed at that after he received a silver medal. Um, and he's sort of uh, living through Vincent. And then, of course, at the end of the film, he commits suicide after the mission was complete. What did you think about Jude Law? Yeah, I thought he was great. Yeah, love him. 
others' moments. What's your number? What's your number? Yeah. And I also love um, when he's um, doing the urine testing at the beginning and he's like, oh, my God, what's wrong with the machine? Yeah. It's like, you're actually drunk and you've been drunk <laughs> for days. Um, I really like him. He's great. Uh, okay, I think that's I it. I found the, the ending oh, quite Blair. sad, though. Very sad. Character. Jarring. Terrible. Also, it was a terrible, terrible way to do it. Ter- isn't it terrible? I know, I didn't... Jesus. All right. Should we move to themes? Sure. Bum, bum, ba bum, themes. There's no gene for the human spirit. Obviously, that's the tagline of the film. But I extended on that a little bit to say, we never know what someone is truly capable of. You can't measure that. And complementing that, you'd say if you try to erase imperfections, um, you are, are you erasing what it means to be human? This is my first sort of category right? Um, of the theme. Any Anything you want to add to that? I'll wait until your second category then. My second <laughs> category was, I don't know where to go with this, but I felt Irene represents this natural woman. Oh. I don't know how, but I feel like she lets her hair down more than any, like nobody else's hair is ever down. When they're at the club, all the women's hairs are up in strict buns and her hair is down around her shoulders. She also takes him to the solar farm. She is watching the sun come up. And then, of course, she lives by the water with the seas crashing. Right. So there seems to be something about Irene that she represents a natural woman. What do you think? Um, okay, so the thing that I was thinking about, it just kind of pulled. So I, I, I kind of agree with you what you're saying about her natural thing. It's almost kind of like they were trying to offset his strict uh, control and like military-like uh, routine mm-hmm. into trying to fit into this world by by introducing her into this kind of relax a little bit and just kind of be yourself but the thing that really stood out to me in terms of themes was that no matter what we do humanity will always find a way to discriminate because our society is designed to oh, make us wow. believe that the only way to be successful is by being better than somebody else and the line that really pulled it out for me, there's just one line in the whole movie that just really hit me. And it was, he says at one point about why he's doing this this routine that is to eliminate how much of my invalid self I would leave in the valid world. Mm. We just, this is this is something that we do. We will always, we are des- we have designed and created a society that works and functions based solely on the idea that you are better than somebody else and your success Mm -hmm. is measured by how much better you are doing than somebody else's place in the world. And it's just really disheartening. Yeah. Just, yeah. Our propensity or need or desire to discriminate against others. Yep. Yeah. But I do think the main thing is the fact that we really don't know what anybody can really be capable of. Um, We never could know. Um, and hard work, ambition and drive are sometimes more valuable than natural talent. And if not, extra valuable. There is one other topic I want to talk about. And I feel like this movie is also about hot people and hot people thinking. <laughs> <laughs> like they're all these hot people. They're all just sort of walking around all hot. And he's like, hot, fuck you, Jude Law, this hot person. 
that you never have to work for anything and life's better for you. And um, because of that, you don't develop any, um, I don't know, there's no conflict which leads to you overcoming (laughs) anxieties to achieve things. The only one who has any actual like proper discernible personality to me is Jerome. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, this is what happens when you just have hot people in the world. It'll be completely devoid of texture. Also, Lauren Dean's character pretty much never had to try at all to get to the top. Mm. A lot of them, that's what happens when you never have to work for anything. You get someone without working. You just don't give a shit because you don't have to. And that makes you suck as a person. And having some struggle gives you texture. Jerome has struggle though, but we see it fleshed out. He's also a really good actor, I guess. But he has texture because he's 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 very um he's very tortured, I suppose. I don't know. Anyway, um texture, hot people, hot people suck. Just wait a few years. Um <laughs> We don't want a world run by beautiful people, blah blah blah. Perfection is boring. Alright, let's go into tropes. Welcome to our first section, Trope of the Week. Um, I have two tropes. How many tropes do you have? Uh, I just have one. Go. What's your trope? Uh, Clark Kent Superman. Why? Because oh. <laughs> terrible it disguise. puts on his glasses. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's Vincent. <laughs> he takes off his glasses. Oh, hello, Jerome. <laughs> <laughs> It was just like, it took, I know that there was definitely a moment where like the brother did know it was him, but he didn't know it was him immediately. And I'm like, come on, he doesn't look that different. There's even a line where he's like, you look so different. It's like, no, he doesn't really. He just changed his hairstyle and took off his fucking glasses. Come on. (laughs) Anyway, that was mine. I've got one. This is my one trope. The first one is sexy science explanations, but between Vincent and Jerome. (laughs) But it's like, sir, what's Titan like this time of year? And he's like, oh, you want to do what Titan's like? Titan's like, oh, yeah. Yes. (laughs) And he blows a cigarette so into his brandy and he's like, and he's like touching it with his fingers delicately. Like, how seductive. (laughs) Um, But my real trope is, so Gore Vidal's character when when the Vincent's invalid past comes up at the corner of everyone's screen, there's a lot of tropes in there as well, like the fact that it comes up on all their screens and all that. That's very film tropey. But Gore Vidal comes and he goes, Jerome, is this? And his finger points in the direction. Pause and he's like, oh, <laughs> the approach pass we discussed? <laughs> Absolutely. Mission control manager, whatever it's called. <laughs> Jerome, if you put glasses on, that would look like you. How weird. <laughs> yeah. Although I love that he has a goofy smile, like, because he's such an invalid. So when he poses for his license, he's like, <laughs> yeah. But the other people are like, sex machine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> really long face, slightly <laughs> angled down, looks like model-esque. So when he's when he's posing, he's like, oh, I look like him. But I'm like, no, you still have your face being like, <laughs> you have to go down. You have to learn how to look like the hot people. You can't be like, <laughs> I'm the cleaner. So that's probably why they can't recognize him as well. <gasps> Let's get into science. 
few sections to start off. Two, actually. Just FYR colors. But the exfoliate, like, we don't have to talk about exfoliation. Just wanted to, like, put a bit about it. But there are two things I want to talk about before we talk about genetics. Number one, I was interested in Titan. They're going to Titan, the largest moon of Saturn. Yeah. I just wanted to say that this is very realistic. And Titan is totes a place that we would go. I should kind of stop saying that. Titan is definitely a place that people would travel if they could because it's the only moon in our solar system with clouds and a dense atmosphere and the only world apart from Earth with liquid on its surface. Did you know that? Yep. Yeah, yes. You know everything about space. <laughs> it's got... Even though um, you're a So bimbo. the liquid on the surface isn't liquid water, but uh, it's believed that there are oceans underneath the icy surface. And it's one of the only places in the solar system that could potentially be uh, harbor life mm-hmm. somewhere within those oceans. But we just don't have the capacity to investigate for that yet. Yes. And we know this because the Cassini spacecraft took images which show flashes of sunlight reflecting off of the lakes, which are hydrocarbon lakes. And these glints reflected off the images are called specular reflection. And you can find pictures of them <laughs> and you can see the glints of the massive, massive lakes in the Northern Hemisphere. So that is a cool thing about Titan. They're going to Titan and I feel like in that distant future, not too distant future, fuck that. In that very distant, distant future, future. Futuristic past. They're going <laughs> many, many times a day, a dozen, maybe more, um, up to space or you know, at some point they'll send something out to Titan. Now, the next science topic, which is not about genetic, is the leg extension surgery. Yes. Which is a very gruesome thing. And it's certainly real. He has leg... Is it? Absolutely. Wow. Okay. Tell me how this works. You sure? I mean, I will tell you a little bit. I mean, I kind of don't want to know, but also I'm like, just... just terrible. Give me the the cliff notes. Effectively, they break the bones, the shin bones. And then they force them to heal in a certain way that lengthens them. Oh. And you can do it about one inch. That is a very short version of what they do. But essentially, it's breaking and then the bone heals in the way that you want. And you put sort of a pin in there that it heals around. Um, And it's about an inch at a time and it takes about um, like three months to recover or more. Um, There is a very famous surgeon called Dr. Draw Pelly in Florida, who's done over 20,000 of these. Oh. He specializes in correcting serious deformities of the limb. So it's not always, you know, it can be in children yeah. born with serious deformities in their legs. He's sort of correcting that by doing this. He yeah. has these special sort of pins that he invented that he inserts. But if you looked at Reddit, short man Reddit, people have oh, no. serious discussions about this. It's horrific. Yeah. It's also just that, well, that's the thing. I mean, making people obviously taller. for people who need it, like with deformities and stuff like that, it's amazing. It's amazing that this is a possibility. But the idea that we live in a world where we would make because and you know, it's just going to be men, right? You know, there's not women out there doing this probably mm-hmm. uh, because we make men feel like they're not. It's it's emasculating to be short. It's mad. Are you telling me that they go and they get this done? Yeah. Fuck. People do it. I know. I, I, I've discussed this before, but I'm seriously against any sort of medical intervention that's not necessary for your health. Um, even like little people as well, people that are, have dwarfism and stuff, you know, sort of breaking the legs and 
you know, it's terrible. But, I mean, this guy does it in a way that is, he's an orthopedic surgeon and he does that in a way that he says is safe and with certain technique, but I'm sure there are people that do it um, and it's not done as well and they have chronic pain for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So um, that's the thing. I don't really want to think about it any more than that. Um, but let's talk about genetics which I definitely have a massive deficit in my knowledge, but I feel like it. Sh- I should really start to get my head around this considering, you know, in bioinformatics, really a lot of that uh, encompasses, gen- like it's a, a huge chunk of it is genetics. So I need to right. learn this. It's going to be in my career somewhere. Um, I just thought we'll talk about like the science and like if we're set up for this kind of future or not. And I think short answer, yeah, for sure, we definitely are. Um, well, to go through a few different sort of stages to that, um, you know, genetic testing during pregnancy, and then of course, more drastic selection, um, selection of embryos. So we've talked about some genetic stuff before, but humans have 23 pairs of chromosomes, 22 pairs of non-sex determining chromosomes, and one pair of sex chromosomes that determine your sex and chromosomes are made up of DNA repeated sequences of four bases that form that's the g t c what else is left a a A. are four bases that form uh the sort of all the genes and determine everything about you your physical characteristics and whatnot so dna consists of two strands bound together in a double helix like the staircase each half helix is complement as a complement of the other and those are called based pairs base pairs right those are the base mm-hmm. pairs. So yeah. um, now, first we have genetic testing during pregnancy, which is obviously a thing. And the whole idea of that, um, you know, it's gene testing. It's testing for certain defects. So, of course, it gives you the option of terminating pregnancies, in essence, phasing out certain defects. So that exists already. Um, right. As an example of a test that you do is the FISH test, interphase fluorescent in situ hybridization of FISH is a technique used to determine the presence of a trisomy trisomy, or a chromosome that has an extra copy. So that's how you can do that. Or something that has uh, only one instead of two. So with a FISH test, I just spoke about the fact that um, you have the base pairs where you have one helix um, complemented by its other half. So with a fish test, you, ha- you actually sample the amniotic fluid in the womb, um, which has skin cells from the baby, and you fix it to a glass slide. And that's the target DNA with the glass slide. And those are heated to separate the double strands of DNA into single strands. Then you have fluorescent probes that are added to the sample. So they're sections of single strand of DNA that complement the specific kind of thing that's being tested the specific kind of gene or whatever. And so it'll attach itself if something's present. Um, And so they use this to count the number of chromosomes if for a particular kind of chromosome. So for example, the trisonomy, the trisomy that everyone knows about is 21, that's Down syndrome. So if they're looking, basically they use the fluorescent probe and it attaches itself to this chromosome. So if three fluorescent things light up it means there's an extra one but there should be two because we're only supposed to have two chromosomes on 21 but there are other things that are tested for people know about downs but if you actually go through this testing you find out there are loads of things that people test for trisomy 13 that's patel syndrome or trisomy 18 
which is Edwards syndrome, all like shocking syndromes that if they're positive for that, it's very likely people would want to terminate uh, their pregnancy. Um, do we want to talk about how we feel about this sort of thing? Um, I. Do you mean in terms of like testing and then deciding to terminate? Yeah, and the idea that yeah. you're kind of, you know, getting rid of a certain kind of genetic variation inside humans. Uh, I suppose I have complicated feelings about it because I think that there are many people in the world that are wonderful, wonderful people. But I also don't think that I would blame anyone for making the choice at the time that they don't have the capacity to be able to provide for and care for uh, somebody who might need or might... I, I don't know. I don't know. God, I have very complicated feelings about it. How do you feel about it? Mm. Well, I've been through it. So I know my feelings about it and they're equally complicated, but I suppose that everybody knows about Down syndrome and everyone sees a lot of Down syndrome and they go like, oh, well, like that is a lovely person. And, you know, but there's so many other syndromes which aren't, which are far more serious than that and result in babies dying, like maybe during pregnancy or a week or days after. And so yeah. there's loads of stuff out there. So I think people just think about that one thing right? because there are so many living people with it, but there are so many things that people don't live so they don't know yeah. about it. So I think there are, there are things in people's imagination. It's much more easier to like imagine that there's no need for those things in our genetic yeah. variety. Um, but yeah, then of course it's awkward if you, yeah, when something is like, well, this isn't fatal. Um, uh, okay, so I suppose if we take Downs do out it? of it, mm-hmm. if we take Downs out of it, because that's, as you said, like that's a different situation, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, if there there's certain things where you're going to be told your child is going to die within a certain period of time in, in days or weeks of it being bro- born. And you also know that they're going to have pain or difficulties or even mm. if they could survive for a few years, that their life, their quality of life will be really, really minimal because of these genetic um, defects. And I, I think that's maybe what the difference is, because it's not necessarily to say that somebody with Downs will have, they'll have a different style of life, but not necess- but, but we can see completely fully functioning within society and love and work and you know, taking mm-hmm. care of themselves and everything. So it is very different thing. Sorry, I'm mumbling and stumbling over my words here because I feel very complicated about it. But I do For think sure. that if I was in that situation and I was told your child will have a defect that will cause them a lot of pain, a lot of anguish, and they will die very, very young. Mm. I think my choice would be um, to not put them Tell through that. Yeah, and of course... The main thing is that these decisions remain private and they don't become public. So like people can have the privacy to sort of sort it out. It's all very good when it's hypothetical, but I definitely feel like we should never weigh in on another person's practical decision that's in front of them. Mm. And I feel very strongly about that remaining totally private. Like I don't want to see this stuff come up for debate when it comes to like X person's actual decision. It's like nobody needs to know. That's kind of it. Do the abortion rights in America affect this decision? You, of course. Fuck. There's no, there's no um, allowance for birth defects. Fuck. 
in any of that stuff, like at all. They only talk about rape and incest, which I never understand why I make the distinction between those two things. It's so weird. It's the same thing. And they debate over this, like the only abortions are from rape. And that's like the only way that they know how to debate. And meanwhile, there's like a whole medical C in there. And it's just like, it's just like politicians who are men with no science knowledge debating this stuff. And that drives me crazy. Like, get some doctors in there for fuck's sake. Get some doctors, like just to explain, like, yeah, there are some. If you look back to when it all started and it started with this documentary that this guy made, uh, I can't remember when it was, maybe the 60s, I can't remember. There's a John Ronson podcast episode about it, about culture wars and to do with this topic, specifically when the evangelical community got involved in abortion rights and how that centred and uh, changed the way that the abortion is treated in America. And and that's what it comes down to. And it's fucking infuriating. Sorry. It's bullshit. Randomly digressing yeah. into different topics. No, yeah, it's not apologize. digressing okay. because yeah. we, this is so relevant to the debate because we're also going to talk about the fact that you select out embryos. And like, you know, I, I think that there's ethical limits and, and there should be legal limits as we'll discuss. But at the end of the day, we are talking about, yeah, selecting out embryos. And now in America, they want to talk about embryos as life. And if we consider embryos as life, and that becomes like into the debate as well. Like, can you select things out? Can you terminate? Can you discard embryos? Like, what do you do with the embryos you choose not to, um, not to whatever you um, implant and everything like that? But in terms of aborting, yeah, that is a form of the way that we are removing certain mutations or certain genetic variation from our um gene pool for shiz and there are loads of things like i just explained the things that you can test for with the fish test but there are a lot of things you can pick up in other ways encephaly when like the like born without a brain like there are so much so much awful shit born without a brain yeah having some brain not being there that's sort of a bit like the spina bifida when the when the spinal cord doesn't fuse but like the more extreme version of that is like the not fusing thing which kind of results in there not being most of the brain um, that's about aborting fetuses that are already growing. Like that's a total other thing, but we can even go further back to, you know, with embryos. But before that, I think it's important to bring up the human genome project. I okay. think it's really relevant about what that did. The human genome project set out to map the entire human genome. I talked about base pairs before. Yeah. So what's a base pair? Three million base pairs also make up the entire human genome which is the complete set of human dna like what makes up humans and three million base pairs are almost identical in humans except for very small variations on the order of three million three billion three million three billion oh my god what is it (laughs) three billion base base pairs of dna make up the human genome so that um the human genome project was trying to map like all the genes that correspond uh, to like human gene, gnome, whatever. Um, so like that found out a lot of genes which directly correlate with, correlate with physical characteristics. Mm. And that, that wrapped up in 2003. Yeah, and from that we've learned an enormous amount of information about which genes are responsible for what. And I think that lays down a lot of the knowledge that humanity now has to be able to do these sorts of things, to be able to work with genes in order to phase out certain diseases. So we have so much knowledge, which is only growing, which means, you know, with 
the collective will, like if we decided we wanted to live in a society like that, maybe we could. But I just don't want to be tempted to start talking about eye color or nose shape because we've discovered that there are genes and you ask me, oh, can you, you know, determine how somebody will die or something like that? And there are genes that we know are uh, determine whether or not you will develop a disease where if you have that gene, it's such a high likelihood that you might get and die from this disease. Okay. Um, there are cases like that. So um, the huge discovery of the BRCA1 and the BRCA2 genes that cause hereditary breast cancer um, oh. gives somebody oh, yes, an enormous probability that you will have breast cancer. Um, and my people that you, you don't just test for those genes you have to have a reason to test for those genes. The issue with obviously testing, I mean, maybe it's not obvious, but it's you know more difficult to cover someone for insurance if you know they have a dis- disease, like a massive probability yeah. of having this disease. So you don't just willy-nilly test for all this stuff. Side note, uh, Ashkenazi Jewish community, we have a very narrow gene pool. Um, and so they've identified certain common diseases and the genes that cause those diseases. Oh, okay. And actually we in the Ashkenazi Jewish community have such a program where as teenagers we sign up to get our genes tested wow. to sequence for certain yeah for certain very common Ashkenazi diseases such as cystic fibrosis and the big one is Tay-Sachs which children yeah. like if you are positive for this if both parents are are a carrier then your child will have one in four chance and will live to five wow. or under And so we basically get, there's a program where we get tested as teenagers and are signed up anonymously and received like a number. And we don't, you can choose to find out the answers or you can just choose to get your number. And so when you want to marry somebody, you put your numbers in and ask if you're compatible. Wow. And if, and if it will turn to say you're both a carrier and you shouldn't get married. (gasps) That's a program we have. Wow. Like, to the level, <laughs> to the point of saying you shouldn't get married, uh, that sounds a bit extreme to me. But I actually think having this knowledge and being able to make decisions on your future and, and how, you, how you choose to have children, if that's what you want, is actually really responsible. Yeah, because some of these diseases are terrible and shocking. Exactly. <laughs> Having the knowledge of what you're putting yourself through and what you're going to, what your kind of a life your child will have is pretty beneficial within yeah, reason. Like, but like you said, not within... like eye color and baldness. Like, come mm. on, guys. So I, I opted to have my results given back to me. Okay. And so I found that I wasn't I wasn't a carrier for any of those things. So that just means that isn't something that I ever had to worry about. Yeah. But in the Orthodox Jewish community, you are set up with matchmakers. So you can look up that number before you go ahead with match. Okay. You know, so it was before you yeah. even meet. In the context of matchmaking, completely fine. The way I was thinking about it originally is like, you know, you, you've been with someone for three years, you're in love and you're thinking about getting married and then you put your numbers in, you go, sorry. <laughs> well, in <laughs> that separate. case... <laughs> you, there are things no, you can yeah. do so in that case yeah. if you found that you there is hereditary stuff in your family then there is that's the next step i guess of this yeah. conversation is what can you do to eliminate yeah. the odds that your baby will have that thing and of course there are things you can do which is responsible you, you, sorry i love this 
I, of course, yeah. And so if you're both a carrier for Tay-Sachs, for example, and again, like these things are become less common because you're sort of counseling them out of the human race. Um, And I do think that if you look at the sort of orthodox community, this is a responsible use of this sort of thing. Yeah. Like it isn't fucked that no one's been like gotten carried away and just like going like nobody's getting carried away. It's very specific and responsibly used. And this is by a community which values life, obviously, which wants babies to be had, which has large families. Yeah. So I, I guess now we can discuss IVF. Okay. How, if you did find out you were both a carrier for cystic fibrosis or you both had it um, and you wanted to do a little bit of um, you'd go to some gene counseling or I guess you get your results and you speak to experts who sort of help you through your decision making, you might use IVF to fertilize the eggs outside the womb and then discard embryos which had the mutation. Right. Um, before I get into this, I just want to say that, have you ever known anyone who went through IVF? Yep. Yeah, uh, me too. And it seems grueling. Yeah. And I can't imagine anyone would be like willy nilly just so they had a blue eyed child. No, yeah. I, I don't. So I do know. think it's, it's a yeah. I, I'm like, I, I'm always kind of hesitant talking about this kind of stuff because it's not my experience. But I know that somebody very close to me that I care about a great deal had a very long journey that was very very difficult for them mm-hmm. uh, to go through because. Um, and I'm like I'm very happy to say that you know in in the end they did get pregnant and they and they have a beautiful child as a result Mm. of it so um I'm sure that they don't regret going through the process but the process that they went through was I think it was about five or six Mm -hmm. years was definitely not something that I think uh anyone wants to have to go through totally this is so hypothetical and I do not see like, really, people are going to go through IVF just to get out the eggs. Incredibly painful process. Mm. And, like, maybe a lot of them won't be viable and maybe have to do it several times and get the sperm and have the embryos. And even with that, like, the, the number that you're left with is, what, like, two viable ones? And we're going to do that just, like, for genetic selection for this shit? Like, I just don't see it happening. No. That's awful. So yeah. I just want to, like, put that out there. Like, I don't really think this topic is, like that interesting like you do it because you fucking have to yeah so you might have to do it if you have had many babies with something that is terribly wrong and then you're like all right it's time to go down this horrible path of ivf and genetic counseling um so whatever i just wanted to say that i hate hypotheticals sometimes and this is like one of them so there is something called pre-implantation genetic diagnosis so that is the embryos that's like in the movie, they showed a bunch of embryos. Um, and so you would use PGD to provide facts about the genetics of the embryos and parents can decide not to implant embryos. Okay. Um, so it's very beneficial. As I said, if you have a family history of conditions, um, but Sex selection is an interesting one because parents might also want to avoid a certain sex. Mm. Um, Maybe that sex is associated with a disease like hemophilia, in which case it's legal. I know in Australia that means it's legal. 
But if you want to just avoid a certain sex because you want a boy, then that's illegal in Australia. And it's also since 2005, they obviously, you know, had to introduce a statute because the technology existed. But it's illegal in New Zealand. It's illegal in England. And it's illegal in some parts of Asia. So that if a clinic did discard an embryo because of of its sex, they might lose their license. Right. But you can travel to the US, Italy or Mexico. Some people will travel to those places just to get the sex selection so that they can have the baby. I got So you're telling me that in the US they can discard a female embryo and choose a male embryo, but you can't get a um abortion for like yeah. a you can't get a medical abortion if you're going to have a, a give birth to a child that will die and uh, a horrible have a horrible disease well i'm saying there isn't a statute specifically that forbids it that isn't to yeah say but you know there's forbid. some fucking prick out there who's got his wife going in mm-hmm. getting a certain treatment so he can have a fucking boy and he's the same jackass who's standing up there saying you can't have an abortion mm-hmm. you just know it yeah like. So basically, like, how do you prevent these things? You're saying you like if you if your reasoning, if your reasoning for doing it is to select a certain sex and they know it and do that with you, they like you can lose your license here. But if it's like, oh, no, we just have this history. I don't know what the burden of proof is that you're not doing that for sex selection, but perhaps it's just the act of choosing the female instead of the male and putting the rest of the eggs on ice right? as opposed to discarding it. So I'm not sure what yeah, constitutes okay. an act of selection, but yeah, it's totally possible in the U S to say, well, we don't want to, we want a boy, but I don't know if you can test, like, here's the thing, like it's the test. You have to do a pre-implantation genetic diagnosis in order to find the sex of the embryo. So perhaps to run the test itself, you have to have cause to run the, like they might ban that test okay. unless you have a very good reason to do it. So I'm not sure exactly how they can prevent it, but yeah, it's, it's allowed in America. So yeah. Wow. People travel there to do it. Um, in Israel, you can apply to the government to do it if you have four children of the same sex. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a thing. So I feel like the knowledge exists and the technology exists, but it seems like there are legal and moral barriers to doing that. But I think the biggest barrier to doing it is practical barriers because it seems to me, again, IVF is very grueling and you don't just go through it because you want a girl unless I can't even, it's so misogynistic if I think about it because you're like, we oh to have a boy or to have a girl, but like you're disregarding what the woman goes through to do it. Right. Like, and so the fact that someone would be like, oh, I want to do this because I want my baby to be smarter because actually cognitively superior genes are something that is now available. And there are this idea of like choosing an embryo that's smarter. But like if that, if you were doing it for that reason, as opposed to for infertility, it's so misogynistic because it's completely disregarding the pain and suffering of the woman to go through IVF. Yeah. And that to me seems like the biggest barrier to a future like this is the fact that we'd, we'd have to put that, you'd have to force the women to go through it. Like 
all the babies get born in that world where the women go through intense suffering. Yes. And like, that's the biggest reason I don't want to see that future is because while the men just have to fucking masturbate into a cup, the women have to go through so much in order for that to be the way people are procreating. Women have to go through so much anyway, but it's just like, and no one really gives a shit to that. So maybe it is realistic that in the future, you know, women will be forced to endure all that shit as well. So that's Mm. sort of my thoughts about it. I mean, if we are heading into a Handmaid's Tale type future, then um, I believe it. Yeah. It's the least, it's the, it's the least un it's the thing that's easiest to believe of this entire situation is the subjugation of women. Yes. (laughs) I like that. I mean, you look at, you look at Gattaca and what I see at the end of the day is like, wow, in order for this to happen, every single woman that wants a baby is forced to go through IVF. Yeah. (laughs) Yuck. That's sad. It's fascist. (laughs) I just like I don't even have words anymore for it. It's like mm. it's painful to th- to think about it in that way. To like really think about what that what that underlying message is, and the underlying message might not necessarily have been what they meant when they made the movie, but like because of the way society has moved forward, but also gone backwards so much in so many places that that's where where our minds go. Because where else could you possibly go? Yeah, any of these like horrible fascist futures sort of seem to come at the cost of, I say fascist because I'm I'm now weighing that up that 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 would have been the case. But like, you know, you think of all these dystopian futures, you think about what role subjugation of women plays in order to make that happen. Mm. And unfortunately, it seems like society always has a vested interest in (laughs) forcing women to act in a certain way, one way or the other. Oh, also, sorry, this is just a random thought on the movie and the and the selection rules anyway, like how, how they're doing it. It's like they, they seem to imply that people are selected or that their genetic makeup is selected for a specific role. So I just I just wondered, why would you choose somebody to have a genetic makeup that would give them a specific place in society? Because there's still then a hierarchical structure. So... Is it based on finances? Is it like, is it still a society that is like, how much can you afford to genetically engineer your child? Well, that last point, you definitely put the money on the last point that I think at the end of the day, it will separate the rich from the poor. Yeah. The underclass has always been the poor. And it seems like in the future, the underclass is still the poor by mere virtue of the fact that only the rich can afford all this genetic counseling stuff. Yeah. But to the first point, I don't, I don't know. My interpretation of it was I don't think that they um, design someone to be a detective. They design someone to be as good as you possibly can. And then in order to become a detective, they're asking for a particular genetic standard, yeah, which might be lower than an astronaut. I think the astronaut is still the apex. Right. And, and the detective, you know, is less so. But, like, whether you're in the hierarchy within your job as well seems to depend on your genetic superiority yeah. to the people around you. Okay. Um, interesting stuff. I wonder what space has to do with it. Space always represents something in movies, but I was thinking escaping the structure. It seems like they all kind of want to yeah, escape. Well, yeah, I think I think... I think that's something definitely, but I also think that space um, represents imagination 
and dreams because Mm. it's somewhere where we can't just go. You have to aspire to it. In order to get up there, you have to achieve uh, on a highest level. Like the knowledge that you are required to have and the physical capability you're required to have to be able to do that for us nowadays um, is so extreme and so selective. But you also have to have the the interest and the care and the Mm -hmm. imagination to see it. And that's what Jerome is showing. He doesn't care. Jerome has all of the capacity mentally to to be able to be in that position in Gattaca, but he doesn't give a shit. He's no interest in space. He doesn't want to go up there. Whereas like Vincent is proving that he has the ability to learn and to be a high achiever and his drive to achieve that comes from his desire and imagination and and dream ability to dream and to want to go up there into this unknown place anyway that is so beautiful no that's beautiful because i was sort of trying to express that before and struggling but it seems like a lot of them are there because it's the highest place they can be. Just like I got a PhD in physics because it was the most impressive thing I could think of. <laughs> there are reasons for doing things and there are good reasons for doing things. And yeah, you're probably right. A lot of those people there um, are probably just like their interest is being the best and not necessarily interested in space. You know, when, when he's up in the spaceship, they're all just like, oh, I don't care. This is fine. And Jerome doesn't care. But Vincent, he wants to go to space. And he wants to prove that he's better. So he probably has two reasons for doing it. He wants to prove that he's good enough. So I'll do the best thing. But he legitimately wants to go to space. Well, it is actually interesting because it does kind of show how like the starkness of the architecture, the style, the look, the feel of everything about it. Everyone else is there because it's their job. They're designed to be able to do this job. So they just go there in every day. They do their little clicky clicky on the computer because that's the job that they have the genetic engineering to be good at. So they just go in and they just do it, blah, blah, blah. He's there because he wants to be. But so is she they because they both i'm saying i think they both want it there's a escape space is about high achieving but space is about searching so it's searching or the infinite but also no boundaries Mm. there's no container for space and i think they both want the freedom vincent freeman i feel like there is something in there in the sense that these horrible structures imposed on us on this planet by these people are really confining for and and makes irene limited just by like what's wrong with her Maybe she wants to go to space so she can escape that. Um, I think we're done. Sure. <laughs> very good discussion, I think, to end the science with and uh, very heartful and true to the message. But let's get into the more important section. What the fuck? Play the music. What the fuck? What the fuck? I have four what the fucks. Oh, I just have one. I'm going to start with the first one. Okay. That he got beat with a keyboard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Murder weapon. Can you imagine? This oh, keyboard? that scene. The scene Plastic. when they hold it up to his head as well like, with matching. all the fake blood on it. <laughs> yeah, all the detective work. They're like, That's excellent. Hmm. Um, I'll read... Also, one in general that I was like, what the fuck? So, Jerome kills himself... And he kills himself. Okay, fine. And then he sends up a letter. He's like, don't open it until you get up there. 
And it doesn't be like, thank you, it's hair. Right? And I was like, what the fuck? What is I that? I didn't get the symbolism of that. No, I felt like it was almost like, was it supposed to indicate to him that he had killed himself? Was it like an old school vibe of here's a lock of my hair? Um, I just did a quick search on Quora. Yeah. Does someone know? I got the better end of the deal. I let my body. You let me your dream. It became clear Jerome was not only rooting for Vince, he was projecting onto him the life that he couldn't live. Oh, it's a piece of him up there. Oh, okay. He wants to be on the spaceship. He's physically representing him that he, like, he wanted to be physically present somehow when he was up there. Okay. Yeah. Here's oh, a yeah. piece of me. All right. That's fine. Leave a piece of me on Titan. Sure. Yeah, he was there the whole time, I guess. He, he okay. was physically present in Gattaca and everything. That's all right. Cool. I wish he could have left a letter. I hate that in movies when they, like, don't say shit. <laughs> um, I'm traveling too. I'm traveling. He was traveling to Titan. Got it. Okay, good. Um, what was your what the fuck? Tell me now. <laughs> They got on a spaceship to Titan in a fucking suit. <laughs> what what are they might. doing? What are they what's the plan when they get to Titan? What is the action? What is the reason of going to Titan? Are they going there to fucking audit it? Is that what this is? <laughs> like what are they yes. doing when they get there? What what? Why is he wearing a suit? I get that it's a style thing of the movie. Like, I get that. But at the same time, what the fuck are they doing on Titan? They're looking for water. Yeah, I imagine that in Titan they'll just have, like, corridors, like in E.T., where they, they're never actually on Titan. They just go to the go. Everything's, like, in corridors or something. That was in my just... imagination. They land on it and they're wearing their business shoes and yeah. they just, like, set up all these tunnels. But who... They just who... go to their office where they sit on their new computers. <laughs> And they get like a little screen yeah. that shows them outside. I don't know. It I was know. just, yeah. Imagine was like, just why, like... Would, why they made that choice not to have some cool spacesuits. To be fair, like if they had changed it, it would have changed so much about the movie. But even at that, like the guys who were closing the doors were like meatpacker people. With their hats. I yeah, with that, their little yeah. white hairnet things and their white lab, like meat meatpacker butcher coats. Mm. Butchers. Like I didn't think doctor. Yeah. I literally thought meatpackers, like. Yeah, that, that was it. I was just like, what is going on here? Like factory workers. That's yeah. what it felt like. Oh. Yeah, that was funny. It's still funny. It was funny then. It's funny now. <laughs> I like style de- style decisions. Sometimes we know for science decisions. Yeah. All right. So the next what the fuck that I have was Irene when she reads the DNA sequences, his genes. Yeah. I love that it's just the, the genes, which is like, oh, not that gene. There's no like interpretation yeah, in English what? language. It's just a printout. It's just se- genetic sequences. She's just like, ugh. And she like throws yeah. it away. No. <laughs> Guess in the future you're like, not that gene. That's a good gene. But my main what the fuck is his daily sexual harassment in the pathology lab. Every day he gets come in and told you it's a nice penis. <laughs> and he goes, have I told you that you have a good specimen? And he's like, only every day. So this guy comes into work every single day and gets told. That is a nice dick. 
and we just are cool with that <sighs> well maybe maybe he's like maybe the doctor is like maybe it's a part of the whole um like that that's that's homegrown because he knows that he knows, he knows that he's not grown. jerome so he knows he's not genetically engineered so he's like that is a class A homegrown piece of meat. The tagline should be Gattaca, there's no gene for a big penis. <laughs> that should be the actual tag of the film. That's the real lesson of the film. Um, let's rate it. Here comes the Bechdel test. Oh. Sam, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Sam's test. Um, no. <laughs> no. Of course not. Absolutely not. None. No. Even no, though there no was all this like, genetic that thing. Like she was the only, there wasn't even any, ex, there was hardly any extras of women behind her. It was mostly men. Mm. There was a, there was sort of this bro friendship and then every, even the like genetic counselor person was a man all the detectives were men the mission control people were men so that's pretty mm. funny anyways uh does it pass the here comes the science yeah i guess yeah i think so. i kind of i kind of i see it as a believable depiction of where we would go if we allowed this to happen yeah totally um yeah, the main thing for me is the rich would get lots of it and the poor wouldn't and it would just more it's like everything we do just separates the rich from the poor more. Yep. Even abortion banning just basically separates the rich from the poor. Yep. Um all right, what's the rating? I have a number in my mind. I think you're going to be unhappy with me about it, but I'm just going with it cuz it's just how I feel, okay? Okay. 3.8. Cool. I'll do a 4.7. Okay. I think it's a stellar film with really interesting science and I don't know why I took off a little bit, but I think that, yeah, like to me, I'm also not, yeah, like my hypoth- I have a little, I have a little problem with yeah. just obsessions over hypotheticals. <laughs> okay. What's the next movie? Uh, oh, wow. I know, but it's because I had one that I wanted to do that I thought was going to be really fun and really stupid for us. Um, but I'm going to have to do that one next time around. Uh, I'm not telling you what it is because I'm waiting for it. Uh, but it's time that we actually have to just get Moonfall out of the way. <laughs> we have to do it. Like, it's Do we? Okay. Yeah. We delayed. I mean, we didn't delay doing it, but it's just that it actually took a while to come out here. I was waiting for it to come out in the cinema and then it just didn't go into that many cinemas here. So I couldn't. I had to wait for it to come out on um, to rent. And then I rented it. And then I was mad at myself that I spent money on it. Oh. So we'll talk about that next time. Where do I watch it? All right. Moonfall is next, you fuckers. Didn't you go to see it already? No. You you sent me your the image of your ticket for it in the fucking IMAX. No, it wasn't my ticket. I don't know what, what it was. You said, I'm going to go and see it in IMAX. Yeah, I'm going to. I haven't done it. Though. Oh, you didn't go. Okay. <laughs> I thought you'd already done it. <laughs> no. I don't know how to watch it. 
Oh, okay. oh yeah, you can watch it in loads of places. No yeah. problem. Okay, cool. Moonfall <laughs> is next. Yeah, I was like, I'm gonna watch it, but I didn't watch it. Okay. Um, Moonfall is next. Excellent. Get in touch with us. Science at the movies at gmail.com. We want to hear from our male person and also Jake the firefighter and also Gabe. You still haven't called me to hang out with me. What the fuck, you people? To be fair. Um, what that episode only came out two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> um tiktok science at the movies instagram at science at the movies get in touch with us i want more reviews i feel so good you know we get all these rejections as academics it feels really good to get a good review so bring them on right, reviewer, right? Yeah. what have we how many reviewers do we have now reviewer one reviewer two oh <laughs> i don't want to hear from reviewer three that's for sure all right join us next time with moonfall actually well next time is guardians of the galaxy one no yes and then it's moved for the week after that all right see ya bye okay